podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Jenny. Ethan, how are you doing today? Grumpy. <laughs> you, you're just dead set on being grumpy. <laughs> I like how saying that I'm grumpy makes me happy. So it's kind of like a nice oxymoron. But uh, yeah. so I'm happy to be grumpy. <laughs> well, your grumpiness has nothing to do with our guest that is that is here true. With us today. That is true. Tell us about tell us about Jan. Yeah, sure. Um, well, he's a co-founder at How Live, which is a cutting edge live concert streaming platform built for the music industry. And he happened to have been building this while we happened to be talking about the idea on Run With It. He came across our episode later. So it'll be interesting to talk to him. Jan, welcome to the program. Did I say that right? Yes, almost. Yeah, almost <laughs> yeah. Almost <laughs> That's just a no. <laughs> I, when I said it, like I said it, and I was like, that's not how I wanted to say it. Jan. That's better. Yeah. 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 There you go. That's better. (laughs) I'm just going to go with the anglicized version. Yeah. So they called him John earlier. So he gave up on everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. This is an update type of episode. It's a little bit different than the typical run with it episode where we have a entrepreneur, an entrepreneur bring us a new business idea. Jan listened to episode 36 with Chris Mead and in that episode, we talked about how we'd start a business helping music venues and artists live stream their performances. Jan came across us somehow, who knows? And he's like, hey, I, uh, I do that. That's exactly what How Live does. Let's listen back to episode 36, the clip there for how Chris Mead described this idea. So what I've been thinking about lately, especially as we are stuck inside for who knows how long and granted those venues are now shut down, but overall I was thinking it'd be very, very cool to have a subscription service to specific venues. That way you have access to their venues and their shows and all you, all the venue would require is to have a camera crew or just a camera that's embedded an audio guy. And then that live stream would go out and it's either the model would either be one you pay on a per concert basis Oh, my favorite band in the world is playing in New York City. Uh, this sold out show. I'm stuck here in Miami. I can't make it. Five bucks, I can live stream in. Or, oh, this venue's at over capacity. They can't sell any more tickets, but they can sell eyeballs. So why would they not do that? And bands with a loyal following, they would 100% sell those access. I've been stuck here. I've watched three concerts on Instagram live the last two days. Like I would pay two bucks to go watch my favorite singer perform for an hour or so. Definitely think that'd be a cool business model, tapping into different music venues. Obviously, the big ones are way more complicated than just the local small venues, but doing something like that could really be a strong revenue model, I think. So there you go. That's that's kind of the, the way he laid out the idea. Uh, so for you, Jan, how how, uh, how, do, how does that match up with what's going on with your, your business? Yeah, first of all, yeah, thanks for having me here. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And it was, yeah, funny coincidence that I heard the episode and then listened to some other episode as well. And that, hey, that's exactly what we're doing. So what you talked is about like 80% of 
what we are doing right now. And there was a couple of like ideas that we are not doing right now, but they are on the on the map in the future. We are still in in sort of like beta stage, even when we have done this for almost four years now, like professional, like in uh, since the incorporation. So you've been doing this for four years, and yeah. I know you know. I actually have a project doing online education, and I thought, okay, this is the future. But mm-hmm. it didn't take until the pandemic where people really started to have an appreciation for it and started right. to utilize it and respect it. I'm curious if you had the same experience and what that was like. Were you kind of one of those people who were like, I'm kind of glad there's a pandemic right now. But. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, that is that is somewhat true. So we had a lot of like pilot programs going on. And the reason I came to the Bay Area, I figured like uh, starting up a company would be easier in here. And also when I was living in LA, every venue was too short-sighted in my opinion and and here we found like more open-minded venue owners and operators who were like ready to experiment more than because the music industry is quite old-fashioned and we know that really well because everyone in the company is more or less a musician and has been like I've been touring U.S. and headline it sounds like a disaster, by the way. But go ahead. Yeah, (laughs) have a bunch of musicians together and asking (laughs) to run a business. (laughs) Yeah, but we're also like being in the tech industry all our lives. Like, and I've been in in my my specialty is in the broadcasting. Yeah, no, actually, there are there are some really successful tech entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs in general, who just happen to play music too. So. I want to circle back to something that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago of mm. some of these music venues are a little bit old fashioned and perhaps yeah. resistant to the idea. We talked about this. We highlighted this as a potential challenge of the idea in the episode with Chris Mead. We thought that maybe venues would think that if they live streamed their show, musicians show, then people would not want to show up live or be less likely to, and they would lose out on revenue overall. Yeah. We heard that quite a lot. Like they were concerned about, hey, is anyone going to come to the show if we're live streaming it? And we tried to show them, like, this is from my own experience, how this everything got started. But if somebody prefers to see a show on the phone, there's probably a good reason for it. Like the live shows are so um, intense when you actually are there. But the owners were still like worried about it, so we built a, a IP blocking system. So you can have like a 25, 50 mile radius around the venue that is blocked. Like if you are in Denver, and you can have okay, nobody in Denver will be able to see the live stream. Of course, you can bypass with VPNs, but but then you really need to uh, know really something. Need to that care about that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, That's super smart because I, I imagine that there's actually very few people who would try and do that, but yeah, yeah. that it would be a big way of assuaging that concern from music mm-hmm. venues. In the end, very few venues really used it anyway because they figured out so fast, okay, this is actually really good, like promoting 
and also like selling tickets to the future shows. And it also helps the bands when you're seeing a free live stream from somewhere else. Oh, they're coming to my town next week. I better go see them live because the live experience is still the like the premium experience. Yeah, that's an important thing that there's probably a pattern around with developing features for users that are more of an entry point feature where it assuages their fears. You know, it's kind of like the old money back guarantee, right? It's like, okay, you know, you can have your money back if you're not satisfied, but you're probably going to be satisfied. So we'll give the money back guarantee and, you know, just come on in and get started. And it sounds like one of those things, like if you didn't do that, people might've had too much resistance and never would have jumped on board and tried it out. But since you had that feature, which they probably would never use anyways, um, it just, lowered the friction to them signing mm. up. Yeah, and and when people saw them, like we were streaming, this was one of uh, like a show. We didn't have our equipment at the Berkeley UZ Theater. And there was uh, two, uh, actually my friend's band, Amorphis, uh, was uh, finished death metal band was playing there. And it was almost like a sold out show. It's a 1200, I think, capacity venue. And only with uh, within like four hour warning, we got the gear up and and started uh, streaming the opening acts and and by that time the bands were sharing the link to howlive.tv and we didn't have a real time uh, like a viewer count back then but in the end we figured wow there's fourteen thousand people watching online with just a few hours notice. That was the aha point for the bands as well. And they were like, we should probably stream every show. Have they still felt that way? Let's say a year later now, are they still really gushing about the benefits of howlive.tv? Yes. And, and they have been one of the pioneers. Like they did one uh, 360 video live stream right after they got back home. Uh, some of the Finnish bands have been like a pioneers in the streaming. The reason that I ask is, I guess this is driving toward the the financial benefits for mm. the bands. Are they seeing that they're actually making more money by using your platform? Yes, we are becoming more like a pay-per-view platform now. There's a few free streams that people are doing, but they are also sponsored by somebody. Like the Club Fox here in Redwood City, they have like paid shows ticketing through our platform but uh, sometimes the shows are free because they found a sponsor and they just want to sponsor the community and people to have like access to the music as widely as possible how much are you charging for a sponsorship we are not the production company so we don't do the streams so it's always the venues and and while we are trying to help and and having some kind of like a, a sponsor matching system on the platform built in so you can pick okay th these reggae shows are coming up and you're a cannabis company and you want to promote to them that kind of system but let's double click on that <laughs> a little bit here and, and get into these numbers about how many users do you have and ballpark revenue we started uh, the pay-per-view a little bit over a year ago and we have had about 150k revenue since then cool and and the revenue model it's just you're getting revenue from the viewers who want to view, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm gathering that they would 
they'll view the recording maybe just as well as the live event. And then you're just doing a split with the venue that the venue gets to make some extra revenue. Correct. The venues are subscribing to our service. So there's a subscription fee and they are happy to pay it. It's 99 for these pilots. And then we have had like an event fee because there's still some manual work we need to do to set up the graphics and overlays and stuff. And sometimes the venues don't even have like proper people to do all that stuff. So we are doing it for them if needed. So we are charging for that. And then we take a $1.20 to $2 per ticket. So the band can set their own like ticket price or the venue can do it. And it's usually that the venues are doing all that work because they already have the contracts with the artists to play. Even pre-pandemic, they already have everything. And, and they just added like in the contract that, hey, do you want to live stream? Yes, no. Do you want to earn more money? And if you do, like how much you want to charge for the tickets and this is our cut and this is how life's cut. And there's also like merchandise cut because they usually, uh, sometimes the, sorry to say, but shitty venues, they take a cut from the merchandise that the bands are selling, which in my opinion is predatory a little bit. But we are also integrating the uh, merchandise sales directly to the platform. So if band or the artists, they don't have the merchandise, we can arrange it for them uh, through the printful. APIs and but we of course we are going to take a cut but it's so you can you're saying as an add-on you can have merchandise that people can buy as part of watching the concert they'll also say hey there's a t-shirt there's a cd whatever and you can purchase it right there on the site that yeah that's great yeah and the idea was that we need to build an a, a ux that you never leave the stream everything is happening right there so you never go to a third party website I checked out one of the streams. I thought it was cool. One of the artists, he was engaging with the fans before the show and maybe even between songs, he was chatting with them and saying how much how much he missed doing live perform- in-person performances. This was in the thick of COVID, of course. And it seemed like the fans loved it, of course, as you would, being able to communicate directly with an artist that, you, that you're a big fan of. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah, sort of like a, a virtual meet and greets there's this one platform, I don't remember the name, but they're only doing like half an hour or one hour meet and greets and fans pay like 60 bucks or something to talk like 20 people hanging out with their idol and they've been sold out like what I've heard. So that would be a good idea. As a fan, like I would love to talk to my idols, even if it's two minutes, that's probably still an experience. There was a musician recently, I forget which one, they were selling an NFT and one of the perks was you got to smoke a virtual joint with them <laughs> on Zoom. Yeah, You yeah, got to yeah. virtually smoke a joint or smoke a virtual joint? Uh, <laughs> that's, a very uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, basically the joint was real and the meeting of people was virtual. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Along those lines, I was thinking about other ways that you could increase the monetization for an idea like this. One thing that came to mind is the age-old practice of tipping to hear a certain song. Pretty obvious idea, but let's say that you wanted to hear uh, some old song that Paul McCartney never sings anymore. Like He would never sing a Beatles song. If you tip him 
a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks, who knows, right? Maybe he actually plays it per request. Yeah, one thing we are also want to develop is to cater for the super fans that really are wealthy and they don't care about like I'll give you five thousand bucks if you do X. And let's keep the OnlyFans aside. But yeah, like uh, my friends were crowdfunding a an album a couple of years ago, and they had some super fans that financed the whole thing. Like, hey, here's five thousand. Like, just put my name on the back of the CD. We should be able to cater. Like, okay, if you're wealthy and you want to spend your money on something, like let's facilitate it, right? So we we created a list of action steps from this episode that you listened to and put it as part of our our podcast release. So I'm just gonna read the steps. There's about eight of them that we listed. So I'll I'll read the step and you'll be like, yeah, we did that, or no, we didn't, okay. or whatever. <laughs> so the first okay. step was investigate current revenue split for concert venues. Was that a step that you took? Yes. Okay. Number two, search for the managers, decision makers of concerts at large venues. Yes. Okay. Contact them via cold call, email, or LinkedIn message. Yes. Okay. Offer to run a trial event, which you can help them pre-sell a live stream of their upcoming concert. Yes. Wow. That's great. Step five was, if enough fans buy in to produce the first event, which you've clearly done... Now, this was, we were kind of assuming you would sort of try to budget to to do the production. Like you would do the first productions. You would help them produce it. Did you, you yes. did that sometimes. And yes. we said, yes. keep a budget under 10K. Is that a fair budget for producing an event like this on your side? One it sounds show. like way too much. We're not, we're not doing. <laughs> oh, right? yeah, that's, that's super. That's actually uh, the ballpark number that people think it's going to cost. But but the idea with our 100% remote controlled system, uh, depending on the venue size, like UC Theater, which is a big one or a smaller theater, there's a price difference. Like the Fox Theater gear is less than 10K total. And the UC Theater gear costs about 20K. And, and the idea was to push the production costs near zero. So imagine we have like a remote operator some, on other time zone where they are not working late. They are working in the morning. Let's say there's somebody in Hawaii and operating a show. He's her morning when it's evening in, in New York City. So 50 bucks an hour is a good, even if it's 100 bucks an hour for someone that, and how long are the shows? So it's just the operator cost after purchasing the gear. And it's so cheap that the gear will pay itself back in less than a month if you have just a few shows. Cool. All right, I'm going to go through yeah. the last three steps we have here. Sure. Number okay. six, six, ask the venue to keep your equipment installed and sign them on as a partner. So yes. kind of what you did. So that one, that one, we're a little off in that the venues have their own equipment. Yes, the idea with us is that uh, we can support the venue at first. Like we can provide the cameras like a testing thing. And then there's multiple like, do you want to buy the gear? Do you want to own the gear? Do you want to lease it from us? Do you want to pay like a rental? So it, it's ours, but, but you are just paying a little bit extra to use it. Or sometimes they want to own it and they might have their own like, people who can do the video switching 
And we're trying to build a system that is like so easy to use that you don't really have to do much. It's macro-based and you can like do some automation there. So if the video guy has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the show, that's no one's going to notice. So if you really want to get a leg up on the next wave of this, you need to talk to my friends at Arcturus. Um, they do holographic volumetric video. So you get uh, you get them filming these things live, you know, with their 360 degree uh, mm-hmm. cameras, which I know you've experimented with 360 degree view. Um, but this actually would allow you to project a hologram of the concert into people's like homes or something like that. <laughs> that seems more a different venue. <laughs> that, that's yeah, the... actually, we are kind of experimenting on that already. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm running Unreal Engine with a really good graphics card. And we are already doing some DJ stuff where DJ can just use the phone, just like Wave Wave XR, but it's just video. And, you know, everyone knows how easy it is to remove the background, right? So you can embed your transparent video on Unreal Engine and broadcast from there. We get these last two steps. Number seven, find partners and offer a subscription service to fans. Now, it sounds like you have more of a subscription service for the venue owners, but do you also offer subscriptions for the fans? And is it a big yes. part of what you do or just a small part? Yeah, that was one of the requests. We already had that a uh, long time ago, like on a, on a features list that the fans can subscribe if they want to subscribe to a venue. We haven't really started that uh, yet. Yeah, that's fun. The last sort of quote unquote step we had here was just sort of an alternative to the subscription. Wondering if you try this, it said you could offer a number of credits per month that could be used for various concerts. Is that something you've experimented with the users getting credits and using them up? It's complicated. Like, uh, actually, the whole thing why I started this company was because I was using unnamed stageit.com. <laughs> For for my band's live stream in 2012, so we did. Uh, we were a new band. We had uh, like EP out, and we didn't really have a much following other than like from our previous projects. And we decided, okay, uh, we don't want to pay Whiskey Go Go or other LA venues just to be on stage. So we figured, okay, let's rent a rehearsal studio, couple of cameras there, and we used a this unnamed platform stream it and it was a hassle like this credit system is too much work it needs to be super simple and people don't want to necessarily like subscribe to everything and no we didn't want that well it sounds like we were probably 80 to 85 percent right on track here so that's it for if you're a run with it lister you can increase your confidence level in the type of information you're getting out of us <laughs> applicable yes. information to start businesses yes inspirational yeah i gotta say your your podcast is inspiring Oh, uh, we'll we'll hold you to that at the end. We've got a, a shtick that you're gonna <laughs> quote for us. No, I'm I'm. Uh, the more we're talking about this, I am I'm loving this idea still. I I remember we were excited about it at the time when we talked about it with Chris, and I think it is uh, the mu- music industry. Everyone knows it's long overdue for a new money making model. Artists make the majority of their money from live performances. 
that is clearly an untapped stream in the digital age and how live is is uh, filling that gap. So tell us a little bit about what's next for you. I know that you're raising money. What else is going on? Yeah, so uh, Pipeline, we have a lot of ideas. And it's looking like the hybrid events are going to be the thing. So one of the things, if I'm thinking of myself like an, uh, like an artist, and Midnight Symphony is the band, by the way, and, and we're playing a show in Las Vegas in August 20th, and it's going to be live streamed. And we're trying to f- figure out like what, what would be like a good thing. It's a 300 people a small venue there and quite a few bands playing so what is the hybrid event of the future and we have some cool ideas for it and it could involve some virtual reality stuff and having these volumetric cameras or or just like an iphone lidar style camera can be good enough for removing the background of the venue and placing you somewhere and making the online experience not trying to replicate the live event but make it for the VR make it for streaming not just like shoot the like the performance and and have it on 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 the TV screen make it better I'm curious actually about the audio component of it. I think the video is the the sexier thing that everyone can see, but this is all about music, of course, yes. getting the audio and in, into that immersive experience being live. Mm-hmm. That was the entire thing that Apple is is pushing toward with their spatial audio. I see you've got some AirPods on, I've got AirPods. Have you mm-hmm. thought about ways to incorporate that into your platform? Uh, yes. So how we are doing the audio right now is uh, we have the room mics, sometimes identical to the what the people are hearing the PA. So we have the uh, the audio mixer feed stereo, and then we do some uh, compression, EQing it, and making it sure that it sounds good. And that can be automated. And and now the sound guys at the venues are doing themselves. So they are mixing the room mics. So it's not a hundred percent from the audio switcher so you have the you hear the audience and everything and and adding the 360 microphones or multiple microphones at the venue is easy but i'm not sure how the audio processing would have to be to make it spatial audio our ceo actually uh, met one of the dolby guys and in half moon bay and we're looking into that definitely because the immersive audio is the thing that it makes it so much more real. Like the cameras can be like whatever. Like let's say the drum cam is not exactly the the best possible camera, but but it's interesting. And the audio is like you said on the podcast, it's much more important than the cameras. Also, I'll bring in here. We had another episode featuring a similar idea not exactly but involving a lot of the same raw materials and and that was mm-hmm. uh, episode 22 with Arthur Revechkis which is entitled a more excellent open mic for musicians so he had an interesting idea mostly starting with maybe one venue where you really pimp it out so it's a great place for open mics but then you mm-hmm. you kind of create a super open mic where you could feature these interesting artists and people could follow them line, online and things like this um mm-hmm. 
so yeah, there's maybe even further places to take this or split off or do something interesting with it. Oh yeah, there's a lot of verticals this uh, works uh, with. We have already done like theater stuff and like stand-up comedy. The problem is there used to be like radio live shows where you are playing in the studio. So during the COVID, one of the artists that were was playing in one of the venues that I was just hanging out there was saying, yeah, this is like without the audience, this is just like playing a radio show, but with video. And I would like to see the audience. There was a Black Mirror episode where the talent show and they were looking at the avatars on the screens so why not equip the venues like on somewhere you would have like screens where you can see the online audience and that's already working in our like the virtual venue prototype uh, where you can have the fans uh, even hear them at your virtual space right that's where you get the energy when you're on stage and it's sometimes different as a as an artist like live streaming to zero audience that don't try to pretend that there's an audience have, use your own like group energy together right. why you don't need to face the fake audience you can just be together as a band and have the energy and let people see that from outside yeah, that was one of the suggestions, Ethan, that you had brought up is being able to see the listener as they yeah. are live streaming you. I want to ask about the the fundraising process that you're going through, John. Uh, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. That, now I said, now I'm saying, John. Johnny, Johnny boy. Johnny. Yeah, it's Jan. Janne. Janne. Yeah, yes. Yes. A Starbucks uh, name is Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. All right. Uh, so, um, how much money are you looking to raise right now? Maybe we need like three point five million to to go for like a certain amount of venues that would start uh, producing revenue and profits from the day one. That's the thing. Like, uh, we are ready to invest in the equipment to make everything go faster so instead of trying to sell the gear to the venues uh, is slower but if we can have the funds and that's only like fifteen thousand dollars ten to fifteen thousand dollars per venue to have them the gear everything set up it can be remotely controlled or you can have uh, somebody in there like a one like a ca- one handheld camera guy but the robots are increasingly replacing the handheld camera need and and that would be like the 3.5 million that we would need for like super fast expansion from there and once we have the revenue up and running like then it's a no-brainer to just expand nationwide and what are vcs telling you when you're asked when you're talking to them about that money we are still in progress. We have some uh, contacts already, and and we have got really good feedback. Like our angels and advisors, one of the ex CTO from Verizon Media. Now he is a CTO of Goldman Sachs, and so quite a few people who are backing us up now. And and let's see what happens in the next couple of months. So we are in the progress of closing the sort of like angel round. So if somebody is still interested in coming early, 
to help us out to go to the proper seed round. We're open to it. So we're kind of like an in-between, like, should we just, because I'm a first-time founder, I've never done this before. And and also, like, uh, the Josh, our, my co-founder, he is also, we're being entrepreneurs all our lives, but this is our sort of like the first Silicon Valley-style startup mm-hmm. ever, yeah. So if a listener wants to get in on the early early floor with uh, Jan yeah. here on How Live, what's the minimum investment that you're looking for? Usually it's been like 25 is the minimum, sort of, but we're open to people. Like if you're passionate about like this performing arts and music industry in general and, and you have like contacts, it's not really about the money. We just want to build a really good like a founding team the early employees the early investors who are like really passionate about this whole thing that's the that's the key thing and if you have something that you want to work with us with and and help us out and be part of the new movement where you can watch music from around the world 24/7 so money and passion yeah it was a pleasure catching up with you here john yeah, thank you. Jan. Jan. <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy. J- so this Yane. is J J A N N E. Jimmy. <laughs> what now what kind of what do you order at Starbucks? What do you order what at I, Starbucks? Yeah, what drink? Usually the the green tea lemonade is my favorite. Green tea lemonade? Yeah. I got a green tea lemonade for Jimmy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, Jan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for sharing your experience with How Live. It's been a lot of fun. We're uh, pumped about this idea. Great speaking with you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll catch you next time. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.